Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to Fenway Park. Mark Fidrich. Now, each time he gets the ball back, you'll see him mumble a couple of words to the ball. The first man ever to pitch five career no-hitters. Catch him all, Joe! I don't believe what I just saw! Today, I consider myself the luckiest man on the face of the earth. Now, ladies and gentlemen, Boys and girls, we invite you to rise. We invite you to rise. Hey, folks. I want to thank you for joining me today on the Daily Rewind, brought to you by ThisDayInBaseball.com. I'm Tom Hannon. I'm your host. Happy March 20th. I hope you're all having a very safe hibernation period here as we get through this uh, virus that's going around. And, you know, I'm glad you came to me today and uh, listened to some baseball. Before I jump into today's topic, today's the 14-year anniversary of the World Baseball Classic. And this, the initial tournament championship game was played today uh, when Japan beat Cuba 10-6. to And it was at Petco Park in San Diego. And I was lucky enough to be one of the 42,000-plus fans there that day. And I was there with my daughter, Kelly, and we had an unbelievable time experiencing baseball. Because uh, as big as fans we are, we are from Boston, and we've always been big Red Sox fans, but a bigger fan of the game. And to watch the international game play out uh, versus these different countries, where it was Cuba, uh, Japan, Korea, and the Dominican Republic, it was just it was fantastic baseball. And to just watch their different styles and how they played against each other was really a treat for us. And what was also a treat was a few rows in front of us for the championship game. There was uh, this uh, two uh, Japanese girls uh, rooting, uh, of course, for Japan. And they had this sign that said it was going to be an incredible night. And they had this sign all night and they were so excited. You could feel their enthusiasm. You know, when Japan won, we talked to them a little bit afterwards. They couldn't communicate well with us, but it was really... uh, it was very special. And then a few years later in Cooperstown, we actually saw the sign that they were holding uh, in the World Baseball Classic display. So it, w- it was like it came full circle. And I remember seeing it, how surprised I was and uh, how overjoyed I was to see that, to know that we were just a few rows in front of them. So that's my World Baseball Classic story. Another thing about the World Baseball Classic uh, at Petco Park, if you've ever been, they have a wiffle ball field uh, out behind left center field. And when we were walking around between games and I came across the field, it is what actually inspired me to build a Little Ebbets Field. And if you've never seen pictures of it, if you're interested at all, you could go to littleebbetsfield.com and see the pictures of the uh, – I made a replica wiffle ball field of Ebbets Field. It was a lot of fun. And um, Petco Park in the World Baseball Classic was actually what inspired me to do that. As I get on to today's story, <laughs> on uh, March 20th in 1973 – Roberto Clemente becomes the first Hispanic American to gain election to the Hall of Fame. The Baseball Writers Association of America announces the results of a special ballot, with Clemente receiving 393 of 424 votes. You know, whenever I hear this and a player like Clemente is a no-doubt Hall of Famer, I don't really understand what the other 32 voters were thinking there. I mean, 
you know, it's not like Clemente was not going to get into the Hall of Fame. Uh, I just, I never understand these vault totals. But anyways, Clemente died in a plane crash on a humanitarian cause on New Year's Eve. You know, it it just goes to show you what a special person he was. Uh, He knew his plane was overloaded, but he went anyway. It seemed going to help earthquake victims. And uh, unfortunately, the plane crashed. And in light of that tragic death, the Hall's board of directors waived the five-year waiting period that is normally required for a player that is eligible for election. A 12-time All-Star, Clemente batted 317 and won a dozen Golden Gloves over a spectacular 18-year career. And he batted 362 in World Series play. He was named the MVP in 1966, and he was voted the outstanding player in the 1971 World Series when the Pirates beat the heavily favored Baltimore Orioles in seven games. Now, today is a special day. I'm going to bring you Roberto Clemente himself as he sits down with WPXI's Sam Nover in October of 1972. This is less than three months before his untimely passing. I believe this is his final at-length interview, and I'll tell you, it's amazing stuff as he just brings it. He talks about things openly, and again, this is why I love bringing this stuff to you guys is because these players, when they're talking, this was pre-Twitter, pre-Facebook, pre-I have to be careful of every single thing I say, and they just say it like it is, so... It's been rerun a few times by WPXI in 89 and again in 1997, and it's also on YouTube. And, uh, you know, I hope you enjoy this this clip, and I'll tell you where to find it on YouTube after the clip. People like Joe Namath and Muhammad Ali, for example, who could easily be categorized with you, Roberto, in the greatness as an athlete, uh, have no inhibitions at all about allowing... The, the public to come into their private life. Maybe they do secretly, but certainly they don't disguise it. Uh, how do you feel about athletes like Namath and Ali, for example, who, whose exploits uh, the whole world knows about? Well, I would say that uh, it's a little different matter with uh, Ali because uh, I really admire this man because uh, I, don't, I might not go with all the ideas that he has. I think that everybody thinks different. I don't, I don't go for all the ideas that he has. As a, as a professional athlete, I admire him a lot because uh, he's a very intelligent person. Um, uh, most of the things that he go in public and the acts that he put in public, he doing himself a promotion for his fight, which is his job. And I admire him for that. Uh, name as uh, the nation make him an idol and uh, is uh, they trying to uh, they make him a playboy and a lover boy which uh, <laughs> this is something that had to grow in the in the person also and uh, I don't say one thing or the other because as long as they do their job uh, that's their business but to me I cannot be like that I I, I got a rest I, I had to rest as much as I can and uh, I think that, that to me it's a little, a little different story because I think that I belong to the minority group. I am Puerto Rican, I'm black, and I have, uh, I'm between the walls. So anything that I do, first, I, re- I will be reflected on me because I'm black, and second, I will be reflected on me because I am Puerto Rican. But with this one, I tell you that to me, uh, I always respect everybody, and thanks to God, when I grew up, uh, I was raised. Uh, I was I was raised 
And when I, my mother and father never told me to hate anyone, or they never told me to dislike anybody because they're race or color. We never talk about that. I, as a matter of fact, I, I started listening to this stuff when I came to the state. So to me, I would say that uh, this is something that uh, I love everybody, and, uh, and I have to be very careful what I do because wh who I am. So I'll give you an example. I was in New York one time buying some furniture, and uh, the people out there, my wife was, uh, we're going to have a baby, and when we used to go around, and the people they uh, they meet us at the door, and they said, "What do you want?" He said, "We would like to see the showroom and see some furniture." And they said, "Well, let's wait for a little bit, then uh, we're going to send somebody to the last floor to see what we have." So they said that uh, they have one floor of furniture, and uh, mm -hmm. so they took us to a real, real uh, place where they. They, they show the, the furniture that was in the showroom wasn't the furniture that they were showing up upstairs. And I said, we would like to see the furniture downstairs that was in the showroom. And they said, well, you don't have enough money to buy that. <laughs> and I said, how do you know that I don't have enough money? He said, well, but that's very expensive. I said, I would like to see it because I have the right to see it as a human being, as a public that buy from you. So finally, they show it to us. And I remember I just uh, uh, had some money. Uh, uh, we was going to Europe, and I had some money on my on my on my wallet. I had five thousand dollars in my wallet, which I took the the whole amount of money. I said, "Do you think this one can buy it?" <laughs> so they want to know who I was and uh, all this stuff. And uh, I, uh, when they found who I was, so they said, "We have seven stores, seven stores, seven stores, seven floors full of furniture, and we're going to show it to you. And don't worry about it." And you know, you was, we thought that you was like another Puerto Rican. And right away I just got mad. I said, look, your business is to sell to anybody. I don't care if I'm Puerto Rican or I'm Jewish or I'm whatever you want to call me. But you see, this is what it really get me mad. Because I am Puerto Rican. You treat me different from the other people. I have the same American money that you are asking for, but I have a different treatment. With right now, you're giving my wife a, a different treatment, and myself and my friend that they're Puerto Rican. So I don't want to do anything about it. I don't want to buy your, your furniture. So I walk out. We were talking, that's a terribly interesting, fascinating story. We were talking just a moment ago about Namath. Uh, I believe this week, the week that Roberto Clemente got his 3,000th hit and joined perhaps the most elite circle of baseball players in history. Joe Namath appeared on the cover of Sports Illustrated. The article on Roberto Clemente amounted to one line, or I think two sentences, on page 45 or 50 or something like that in the magazine. And it really graphically portrays what you have talked about for 18 years, that if you don't live in New York or Los Angeles, no matter how great you are, you don't get the kind of exposure that the other athletes do. Well, Sam, my problem with me is this, that... Uh See, when I started playing in 1955, uh, the players, they couldn't open their mouths. Because I remember that lots of players, uh, they, went, they, sent, they were sent to the minors because they opened their mouths. And the organization, they didn't like the way he spoke, or something like that, they chipping down. So when I came, I remember that every time that I used to read a paper of a Latin player, or a black player, they always had to say something sarcastic about it. For example, the first day that I got to, to Fort Myers, that was a, a, a newspaper down there, where the newspaper said Puerto Rican hot dog arrived in town. So now, these people never knew nothing about me, 
but they knew I was a Puerto Rican. As soon as I got to camp, they uh, told me of a Puerto Rican hot dog. Now, this is something that I refuse to admit, and I talked to some of the Latin players, which at that particular time they was in the, in, the, in the major league, and they told me, Roberto, you better keep your mouth shut because you know they will ship you back. I said, I don't care one way or the other. If I'm good enough to play here, I have to be good enough to be treated like the rest of the players. So I don't want to be put in the bathroom because I came here I'm from Puerto Rico. I want to be right there in front of everybody. And this is something that uh, from the first day, I said to myself, I am the poor people. I represent the, the common people of America. So I'm going to be treated as a, or a Puerto Rican or nothing like that. I want to treat like any person that comes for a job and every person that comes for a job, no matter who he is or what kind of a race or color he is, if he does the job, he should be treated like, uh, like, like white. When we return, Roberto talks about the discrimination that existed during his years in baseball. We used to travel in a, in a station wagon because uh, we could not eat where the white player used to eat. admired uh, for a great many years the late Martin Luther King. You knew him and you knew him quite well. Um, is it not true that you believe that in, in many ways he kind of changed the entire lifestyle for the American black? I believe that this man not only changed the style of the American black, I think he changed the life of everybody. Uh, when Martin Luther King started doing the, his, his work and campaigning and uh, you know, we used to go to the south. You know, we used to travel in a, in a station wagon because uh, we could not eat where the white player used to eat. Now, we are in Florida, not too far from Puerto Rico, and you see the white player go to a restaurant, and, uh, and they said, fellow, do you want anything to eat? Now, we are sitting in the back of the, uh, we are sitting in the bus. We didn't go sitting in the back of the bus, but we were sitting inside the bus. And uh, I remember I told a fellow, one of the players, I said, look, if you ever accept anything, from anybody from that restaurant, you and me, we're going to have it. We're going to have a fight because I think it's unfair. If uh, this is the way it's going to be, this is the way we're going to suffer. So now, I don't want you to, no of you fellows, to eat anything. So we start right there until I talk to Joe Brown. I said, this is it. I don't, I don't travel no more with the bus. If we cannot eat where the white player is, I don't go and go with the bus. So Joe Brown said, well, we're going to get a station wagon for you fellows to travel. And then we, we was traveling in a station wagon. And... Uh, when Martin Luther King started doing what he did, he changed the whole system of the American style. He put the people, the ghetto people, the people that don't have nothing, they don't have no saying in those days, they start saying what they would like to say for many years that nobody listened to. Now this man, these people come down to, 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 to the places where they're supposed to be ignored and they don't want them, and sit down there, and peaceful wise, they make, they call the attention of the whole world. Now, that, that wasn't only the black people, but the minority people. The people that don't have anything, and they don't have nothing to say in those days because they don't have any power, they start saying things, and they start picketing, and they start doing what they thought for a long time that they should have a comment. And that, I think that the, that, the, that the reason that I said he changed the whole world, because even in Russia, you saw after what happened in Russia that the kids were picketing in schools. 
And this is something that never happened before and, 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 and in this state and also in Europe. After this break, Roberto on his childhood and growing up in Puerto Rico. So I grew up with people that really had to struggle to live. Perhaps the, the biggest Achilles heel, the biggest thorn in your side, so to speak, has been some members of the press. Uh, some of them come away from, from seeing you for the first time in a locker room and say, uh, Clemente's a mean man, he frowns, the man never smiles. Uh, is that true? What is really the, the, the makeup of your personality? Is perhaps the shape of your face such that you don't smile too often? Well, nothing wrong with my teeth, you can't see it. Uh, I got teeth, I... Thanks to God. Uh, Sam, this is something that I tell you. Uh, when I was a little kid, uh, I born to, to be a, boy, a baseball player. I, this is something that I, I, I think about. The more I think about it, I convinced that God wants me to play baseball. And more than that, I think I came to the, uh, to the world for some reason. Uh, when I was a little kid, I, the only thing I used to do was playing ball all the time with a paper ball, with a roller ball, with a tennis ball. We used to make our own balls and stuff like that. And uh, my mother had to really work. My mother used to get up at 1 o'clock in the morning, and she had to work and make lunch for these people that used to work in the sugarcane plantation where my father worked. Now, my mother never went to a show. My mother never went. She didn't know how to dance till today. She's 80 years old. But even... Even that the, 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 the way that we used to live, I was so happy because my brother and my father and my mother, we used to get together at night and we sit down and make jokes and we used to eat whatever we have to eat. And this is something that was wonderful to me. So I grew up with people that really had to struggle to live. They, I, I, you don't imagine how these people, I used to work with my father when I was eight years old. And the vacation time, I went to buy a bicycle. It took me three years to collect $27 to buy a bicycle. So I bought a second-hand hand bicycle in three years. I used to make a penny a day uh, going from one place to the other to get a, a big can of milk for these people. They give me 30 or 31 cents a month to get up at 6 o'clock in the morning to do this for these people. But I said, okay, I, I, my father used to say, I want you to be a good man. I want you to learn how to work and I want you to be a serious person. Which I grew up with that in my mind, and more than that, I laugh when I have to laugh, but my face is that kind of a face, that I cannot be like Manny Sanguillan, for example. His uh, shape of the, of the teeth is uh, they are in a kind of a, a different shape of mind. So no matter if he's mad or not, you might think that he's laughing, which he's not laughing. Now, you might think that I'm uh, serious, which I'm not serious. This is the way that I am. And I like to be that way because sometimes you are uh, smiling and then the next time you don't see me smiling and you say, hey, what's wrong with you? So now I'm natural. This is the way I am. I, nobody can say, uh, well, Roberto is mean. I might look mean, but uh, I, I, I really respect people. Do you, do you think that uh, the fact that you are like you are uh, in facial expression makes you sometimes unapproachable? Uh, a reporter comes in and sees Clemente perhaps stalking around the clubhouse with that, that, that particular expression on his face and say, oh my goodness, how can I go near the great Roberto Clemente when he doesn't look happy? 
Well, I tell you one thing. I tell you the truth. I, I don't like lots of writers. This is this is something <laughs> I don't want to deny it, and I know. I tell you why I don't like lots of writers. The writers live of what we do. They might write about sport, or football, whatever they want to write. That's fine. I think if I was a writer, the first thing I would try to do is have a good relation with the players. I never criticize a writer that I think that he's sincere or what he's writing. But lots of these writers, they go to you, and they they put the interview in a way that they sound like you have said that when you don't say exactly that. See? Now, when I, when I was... It's commonly called misquoting. We do that a lot. Right, right. So now, this is something that, to me, in the year that I have here in Pittsburgh, I tell you, 1960, for example, I got dressed in a hurry. I was mad because uh, there was some, uh, the writer wasn't giving me any credit for the most valuable player. Now, I was so mad because of that. I was, I was mad because the approach that these writers have toward this, uh, this uh, most valuable player stuff. This is something that all my life I feel bad about it because I think that this is the wrong approach, but I know it's like politics. You take this thing, sometimes like politics. So I went to Los Angeles and this writer said to me, who is the most valuable player in the team? I said, we have a few that could be the most valuable player. He said, you see this letter? This letter? He said, you're never going to be because this fellow is making propaganda for this fellow to be the most valuable player. So that day during the World Series, which I always loved the fans, I went to, to the dressing room, I got dressed in a hurry, I uh, took one of the Bill Masaroski gloves and I put it in my back, uh, so I said, I'm going to take this to remember Bill Masaroski, so I took it. And I went, I got dressed in a hurry, I went outside of Fort Field. So I was happy with the fans, I was cheering, I was crying with the fans. Right away, I was, I was real bad, uh, they said that Roberto's attitude toward his teammates, something uh, that, uh, that it can, it can ha we can hardly say hmm. what he was his aptitude to what his teammate. When they were celebrating, he went outside. But you I, wanted to be with the people. I want to be with the people that pay my salary. Because I was with my, with my players, I shake hands with them and everything like that. I talked to them about how happy I was and everything like that. But to me, I felt I want to be outside with the fans. So I was criticized for that. In our last segment, Roberto talks about his plans for his life after baseball. So I don't worry one way or the other. I just worry that I be healthy, I live it long enough to, to, to educate my sons and make them respect people, I respect them. Bobby, at 38 years old and 18 years in the major leagues and having accomplished just about everything there is to accomplish in baseball, I guess the thought enters your mind that one of these days it's going to be all over. Um, do you have any idea now when it will be over and when it comes, what are you going to do with your life? What would you like to do? Well, I would be, I tell you the truth, I never think about that. Uh, people always ask me, uh, how much money do you have? What's going to happen to you? Are you secure? I don't worry about that, Sam. The only thing I worry is about being healthy. If I can live, if I can, uh, for example, uh, have my health, I could work. I don't care if I'm a janitor. I don't care if I drive a cab. As long as I have a decent job, I will work. I know like some of the fellows that they've been rich and they lost everything that they have and they killed kill themselves because of the money. So to me, 
I can be a person uh, like me today that I'm making pretty good money, but at the same time, I live a life of a common fellow. I know the big shot. If you go outside the ballpark, you're never going to see me uh, trying to put a show or try to call the attention for anybody because that's the way I am. I, I'm a quiet fellow, and you see me with the same people all the time. If you want to be my friend, you got to prove to me that you are want to be my friend, and you want to 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 be aware that I need lots of time when I play baseball. Now in the winter time, we can be as as long as you want to be with me in the winter time. We can spend as much time as you want to be. But in the summer time, then we have to uh, cut it short. So I would say that I don't worry about uh, what I'm going to do after uh, I still playing baseball. Probably I will stay in some capacity in baseball. And uh, but I said to you, I don't worry one way or the other. I just worry that. I be healthy, I live it long enough to, to, to educate my sons and make them respect people, I respect them. And uh, this is something that, that to me, this is my biggest worry, to live, to my kids, to be a person everybody, when they look at them, respect them, and they vice versa, they respect the people. Bobby, what do you want for your two sons, three sons, really? What do you want for them out of life? I, will, I want them to enjoy life the way I enjoy life. I love people. And I love the minority people. I love people that they are not big shots. I like common people. I like workers. I like people that suffer. Because these people, they have a different approach of life of the people that they really have everything in life that sometimes they get bored. Because they have everything and they don't know what suffering is in life. So I want my people, my kids to suffer. I want them to have what they're supposed to have. But I don't want them to be rich. I want them to be people like the normal people in America and the normal people in the whole, in the whole world. Bobby, I can only say 30 minutes is gone like five minutes, and uh, thank you for making it perhaps uh, the most memorable 30 minutes of my life in this business. Uh, I uh, greatly admire you, and I know I speak for everybody watching this program and everybody who has ever known a thing about Roberto Clemente, not only as a baseball player, but as a man. You are a great tribute to society, to America, to Pittsburgh, and obviously to Puerto Rico. And I wish you good health and good luck, and thanks for all the great memories. Uh, well, Sam, I just uh, have to say that... Uh the tribute, the biggest tribute paying to me have been paid by the Puerto Rican people and the Pittsburgh fans. As I said before, and I'm not trying to uh, make a big issue out of this, but these people have been wonderful to me, and I think they have pushed me to accomplish what I have, have accomplished, because uh, by the way they treat me, I said that the only thing I have to do is to try to sacrifice myself more and try to pay them with the same tribute that they pay me. God Thank bless you. you. Thank you very Thank you. much. Roberto Clemente. Twelve All-Star games, four separate National League batting titles, Gold Glove winner for 12 consecutive years, Hall of Famer, legend, humanitarian. Had he lived, Roberto would now have been 63 years young. Although the man himself is no longer with us, a part of his spirit, what he stood for, will always be with us. For the Pittsburgh Cable News Channel, I'm John Petko. So I hope you enjoyed that interview with Clemente. Uh, just listening to him talk and the passion that he brought, what he meant to his community, what he meant to humanity, what he meant to baseball. He was an amazing man with an amazing, amazing passion. And he sacrificed everything to do what he felt was the right thing. And that is a unique and special quality that uh, so few people have. 
and I only could have wished I seen him play. And, you know, if there's somebody that you'd like to meet in, uh, in the next life, he's certainly on that list. So I hope you enjoyed that. I did get that from the YouTube at, from B-U-M-F-R-O-M-P-H. And the name of the video is Roberto Clemente's Final Interview, October 1972. And if you want to learn more about Clemente, go over to thisdayinbaseball.com slash Roberto Clemente. Search him in the search bar. He is one of the most written about players that we have. There's well over 225 articles about Clemente and different things that he accomplished on the baseball field. Uh, video, audio, you name it, it's there. And uh, by all means, get lost in his career because he's definitely worth it. And if you enjoyed the show especially during these times when baseball people are looking for things to do. You're at home, uh, you're working at home, you're looking for things, you, you don't have the normal activities. You know, please tell them about our show. They're going to enjoy the interviews. Uh, we're going to play a World Series game for you tomorrow, uh, so you can listen to that in, in its entirety. It's an old radio broadcast, and and I'm sure all your baseball friends will definitely appreciate it and enjoy it. Please don't forget to subscribe yourself uh, so you never miss a show and you never miss any of our content. And if you'd like to contact me, you can reach out directly to me at tdinbb at gmail.com. It stands for This Day in Baseball at gmail.com. And thanks again. And although I'm not going to be seeing you at the ballpark in a few weeks, let's hope it's sooner rather than later. My name's Tom Hannon. This was the Daily Rewind for This Day in Baseball.com. I'm out. Peace. <laughs>